Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. We are beginning a brand new series today. Uh, It's going to take us all the way basically to Christmas. So the next couple months, we're going to be finishing up most of the rest of the New Testament in a series called Friends, Brothers, and Others. It seems like an odd name, so let me explain what I mean by that. A majority of the New Testament, everything except for the first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the rest of the New Testament is a letter, okay? And so we've covered the last series, Paul's letters that he wrote to specific churches. So the rest, this series is also going to be letters, but who it's written by or to is described in the title. So some of these letters, like the ones that we'll look at with Paul the next three weeks, are letters that he wrote, but to friends. And then other letters that we'll discuss in this series are written by friends or followers of Jesus, or by the brothers of Jesus. And there's one letter that really we don't quite know who wrote it, so they're the other. There's going to be one odd man or woman out uh, one week. It's the book of Hebrews, in case you're wondering. We'll get there uh, sometime in November. Um, so that's where this series title comes from. It's, it's more letters, but it's written by more people to other people. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here are these letters um, in the New Testament. So we're going to start today with kind of a two-part series. So we'll do part one today and part two will be next time. Uh, and we're going to be looking at three letters that Paul wrote to two people. So don't worry about the math. I'm not a math guy either. So Paul wrote letters to two young up-and-coming pastors, Timothy and Titus. He wrote two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, and then a letter to Titus named Titus. It's easy to keep up with who Paul's writing to because he puts it in the title of the letter. So these are known as pastoral epistles or pastoral letters written by Paul because they are written by a pastor to a pastor. But there are I think far-reaching things that anyone, even if you're not a pastor, can learn from and live by in these letters, and that's what we're going to look at today. There are several different themes that you could point out in these letters, but we're going to cover one that I just could not escape from. It just kept, as you read all three of these, and we'll look at it as we get started, there is a theme that jumps out, I think, almost more than any other theme, especially when you're not looking at it at a pastoral level, just a normal, I'm loving Jesus following Jesus, what does Paul want Timothy and Titus and therefore me to do? What is he trying to convey? So there's a main theme. So what I want to start out with is just read, I'm going to read five verses all the way through three of these letters, okay? Back to back to back, back to back to back to back to back, okay? And we're going to see if we can spot what the theme is without me even saying what it is, and then we will explore this theme both this week and then also into next week as well. So let's look at these real quick and, and find out what this theme is. So let's start here. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 6, 20, Paul says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. 2 Timothy 2, 16, 
Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. 2 Timothy 2.23, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. And then Titus chapter 3, verse 9, do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. So you've probably seen similar language here, similar wording here. Paul is making it very clear to these two young up-and-coming pastors, he does not want these men to waste their time on foolish, pointless, what he even calls godless, debates and arguments. So we read five of these. In total, according to my count, there are 14 verses almost exactly like these five. There are nine more at least almost exactly like this. We'll cover quite a bit of them this week and next week as kind of fleshing out this idea here. Paul doesn't want us to waste our time on foolish, stupid arguments and debates. And that can mean a lot of different things, and we'll look at what that could mean, I think what Paul's trying to get us uh, to say here. So on a personal level, he doesn't want them, as people of God, to get involved in these silly, stupid, time-wasting arguments over things that don't really matter. And he also, as, as we'll read, he doesn't want, as pastors, them to allow their people in their church to get involved in these silly, stupid, time-wasting, life-wasting arguments and debates and topics and discussions. But here's a problem with that, if we just take it at face value, here's an issue. As you daily interact with all types of people, you're going to have different kinds of conversations with these people. You're going to have some deep conversations with these people. You're going to have some maybe touchy subjects will come up as you talk to people at work, as you talk to your family. We're getting around to the holidays. You get together with people you haven't seen for a while, maybe don't vote like you or think like you or believe like you. Guess what? We try to avoid these topics, but it just comes up. We just can't help ourselves. So they're going to come up. The things that we talk about, the topics and conversations are going to go all over the place and so when this happens, what do we do? What is Paul really trying to get us to do here when this happens? So let me ask this question. Anybody ever tried to do a diet before? Okay, okay, okay. I heard that loud and clear, all right? We've all tried to do some kind of fad diet, maybe the Atkins diet, or you try to do keto, or what you try to cut this thing out, or you try to do, you know, intermittent fasting. That's what I try to do so I can still eat sloppy, but not have to gain like 100 pounds because I'm keeping it in a certain window. I don't know if that actually works, but, you know, I, I'm telling my, I'm trying to convince myself it works. So we've all done this before, but about 15 years ago or so, there was a book that is now this whole movement that's called Eat This, Not That. Maybe if you've heard of that or not. So this idea is basically, you, these, these foods are bad for you. You like them for a certain reason, but here's why they're bad for you. Instead, eat this, not that. Here's how, what you can replace this thing with that's going to give you a similar psychological, ooh, this is sweet, so it tastes like candy. But it's not candy. It's better for you. So how you can replace what you normally gravitate toward that's bad for you to something that you can train yourself to do that is better for you. So when it comes to these types of conversations, these foolish arguments, these meaningless, time-wasting conversations that Paul says to not have, I think what he would tell us is, do this, not that. That's what we're going to look at today. So let me break down this week and next week just briefly. So today we're going to look at four steps on how we can be prepared for when these types of conversations or debates come up. Four steps that we can use to be prepared for them. 
And then in part two of this mini-series here, we're going to look at how then four keys to then engage in those conversations. When they come up, it's not that we're looking to start an argument, but sometimes it, we just voice our opinion and boom, argument ensues. Sometimes we just give our point of view or our worldview or share our faith about something and boom, we get into this deep, long, winding conversation. So we'll look at this week how to prepare ourselves when these conversations come up, to be ready for them, and then next time how we can then engage in them in the way that I think Paul would want us to, and then that really that the Holy Spirit would want us to. So again, we'll look at this four-step process today to get ready for these types of conversations. Here's the first thing to do. The first thing we should do is don't avoid, so do this, not that. So don't avoid, but engage. Now it seems counter to what we just read. He says, avoid these, avoid these, don't do these, don't engage. But really, let's not misunderstand what I think Paul's trying to get us to understand here. What Paul is not saying is don't have opinions or strong beliefs. Paul's not saying run away from every difficult conversation that you're going to have. Paul's not saying to don't stand for what's right. Just ignore when something wrong is going on or when something inappropriate is. He's not saying to not stand for what is right. Instead, Paul's warning here is to be careful what those interactions become. He's not saying to avoid them altogether. I think at the heart of what he's saying is don't make things worse. Don't turn a discussion into a mudslinging competition with the other person, which we'll get to this week and next week a bit. He's not saying to, you know, hide from your beliefs. He's not saying that. So let's look at these for just a second. Don't avoid, but engage. Here's the problem. If we, so he's not saying don't have opinions or strong beliefs. Because if we don't believe in anything, we'll be tempted to believe everything. Okay? Let me say that again. If we don't believe in anything, we'll be tempted to believe everything. Does that make sense? This, is, this can be a very dangerous way to live. I don't want to have strong opinions. I don't want to, you know, have these core beliefs. But then when we don't have this foundation, then everything, anything and everything just gets in. And then we will believe everything. And really, no matter who you are or what you believe, you have opinions. You have beliefs. So it's a silly thing to even try to act like we don't. It's a silly thing to try to be like, oh, I'm going to just ride the fence on everything. You can't do that. That's not how we live. That's not how the world works. Now, there are nuances to deep-seated discussions that we might have. There, there is maybe some back and forth, some gray area where we have to just maybe agree to disagree on certain things. Some things we just can't. We'll, we'll get to. But some things we just have to kind of be like, okay, but I still have this opinion. We can agree to disagree. So that's just not how we live. We, we have opinions and beliefs, and we should have them. Because if we don't believe in anything, we'll be tempted to believe everything. And that's not a good thing. So, and also, Paul, again, is not saying to run away from hard conversations. Because if we run from every hard conversation, we can't learn. We can't grow. We can't help others to learn and grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So here's the thing. Even in discussions or even in debates where I might disagree with someone, I can disagree with them but still learn something from that conversation. I can, I, we can walk away saying we're just not going to see eye to eye on this. However, I have a better understanding of where you're coming from now. 
Because before, maybe just this personal thing, I had this opinion because I grew up this way and I was taught this, and that's just how it is. I don't care what you have to say. I don't know what you're going to say. I'm just going to argue over you instead of talking with you. But instead, if we're doing this, I think, in the way that Paul would instruct us, as we engage in a Christ-like way, in a sort of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of is, in a good way, I don't know, a positive way, constructive way, uh, we can still learn something from the other person, even if we don't agree. Let's give an example. I'm going to give you an easy example. Let's say there's like a faith issue. You and someone else or a group of people are talking, and this person is saying, you know, I just believe that your good works can save you. So I would disagree with that on a core foundational salvation level. So I don't want to run from that opportunity to maybe help them figure out really what faith is, okay? So I would tell them, you know, well, you know, actually Ephesians says that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So it's just right there. I don't know maybe how you were brought up or what you were taught about your good works do that, but the, the scripture actually literally says the opposite of what you're saying. So I don't want to run away from that because maybe it's going to get awkward or maybe they're going to get offended by that, which we'll again get to here in a minute. I should want that person to know the truth about this claim that they're making. And this can go on any kind of issue, but I gave us an easy softball one here. I'm not even getting into like this one that, ah, I don't know about that. That one's in the text. It's right there. There's no arguing on that one, right? So I should not, not want to embarrass them by engaging in conversation, not trying to pick a fight or start a debate, just because out of love and concern for what is the truth, as Scripture says, I want to help them to hear this other side of that. So no one learns and grows if we run from every hard conversation, and problems don't get solved that way. I mean, think about how war is averted through diplomacy, which can be a series of very difficult conversations. But if we don't have these difficult conversations ahead of time, guess what? We're firing missiles at each other. We're blowing each other to bits. We're destroying one another's civilizations. So that's how it works on a big level. It's how it works in our lives. If we avoid these things that need to be addressed, that need to be engaged, then things will eventually, over time, get much, much better much worse. And you probably know in your life, someone, maybe it's a neighbor or a family member or someone, that you just let this thing go for so long, and it ends up destroying other people in some way. And then maybe you deal with this, I should have probably dealt with that like six years ago when this was an issue, and now it's like ripped our family apart. Sometimes we have to engage. We can't just avoid these conversations is what Paul is telling us to do, because problems won't get solved if we run. And then again, the last thing that he's saying here at the beginning is it's it's not okay to not stand for what is right. Because if we, as a follower of Jesus, if I don't stand for what is right, then what am I doing? Like if I've been called to make a difference, if I've been called to go into all the world and preach the gospel and I, and I fail to do that, what have I done? I've done nothing. I've done actual damage in not standing for that. If we're going to have an impact and make positive change, we have to engage. We can't avoid everything. We have to engage in some way. But with that comes sort of maybe a reason why we pull back, and that is the second key to preparing ourselves for these types of conversations is to don't fear, but have faith. So we don't avoid, we engage. We also want to do it with not in fear, but in faith. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Most of the time, 
we avoid engaging in situations and conversations that we should out of fear. Sometimes we fear not having the right words. I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to approach them. And I'll say off the top, a small dose of humility is good in this case. I don't want to always just be ready to give my opinion all the time right off the bat. I don't want to be perceived as a know-it-all, right, all the time, or that I'm always right, or that I'm holier than thou. That's not what I want to project. And so humility in this, I don't really, you know, kind of, I don't know if I should or when I should or how I should approach them or talk to them. That's okay as long as we push through the I don't know how or, and just go for it, okay? Because here's what I believe. I believe that at the right time to the right people, God will give you the right words, if this is a discussion that needs to happen with someone, even if it's going to be awkward, even if it's going to get personal, even if it kind of starts to turn a little bit ugly in the middle of that, I believe, as Paul says here, at the right time to the right people, God will give you the right words. So don't fear not having the right words. God will give them to you. He says we're not being given a spirit of fear, but of power. Sometimes we avoid interactions that we don't really feel like we want to get involved in because we're afraid we'll be misunderstood. Or the dreaded, they won't like me anymore, that kind of thing. That hits home to me, like right in the heart, okay? So I get that. And this is always a possibility. In every conversation you have, that's always a possibility. In every interaction you have, that's always a possibility that they're going to not like you as much because now they have more of an idea of who you are. That's, that's true, but that's out of your control. So when it comes to these conversations, interactions, all we can control is our motivation and our attitude. That's why Paul says we've been given a spirit of power and love. If my motivation for having this difficult conversation or this personal stance is out of love, out of concern, out of a good nature, right, then engaging in this is hopefully going to go as well as it can. However, if I'm coming from this with anger, with frustration, with pent up, you know, with this person, it's probably not going to go well. So it's power and love that Paul says that God has given us. And then sometimes we fear, we don't get involved out of fear of maybe I'm going to lose control. I don't know if I can keep myself in check. If it gets really, if they say the right trigger words, I'm going to go off. If, if they, you know, give me that look that they know bugs me, I'm just going to go off. So sometimes we fear not getting involved because I don't know if I can control myself. But Paul, what does he say? He's, God's given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So if I'm, in, if I'm going into this with the Spirit of God helping me, then he will help me to have more self-discipline than I would have without I'm going to have a better shot of keeping my cool if I'm coming in with the Spirit of God having worked on me first, which we'll get to in a second, and then entering into the conversation rather than me just coming in, I'm just going to tell them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to make them feel this way, or I'm going to make them feel that way. It's like, no, self-discipline helps me in these times. So we want to pray in advance. Maybe you know there's a difficult conversation coming up. Pray in advance for the Holy Spirit to give you self-discipline. Maybe you don't know what's coming, but you know, hey, pretty soon I'm going to be around this person that always bugs me. Pray in advance for the Holy Spirit to help give you self-discipline. And he will. Paul says he's given it to us. He will give it to you and help you to walk in that so that we can engage in healthy, constructive, Christ-like ways. So as you engage, 
Don't fear, but have faith. Then the third step here is getting, we're getting a little closer, so we're not even going to get into the conversation until next time, but we're getting ourselves prepared here, which is the third idea. Don't neglect, be prepared. As you're kind of prepping yourself for maybe something that's going to come, or you're just trying to be ready for whatever comes, don't neglect, be prepared. So don't neglect what is the question, and then be prepared how is the other question. We see this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we don't want to neglect, we want to be prepared. This is a matter of input-output. What goes in will come out. Or another way to say that, what I consume, I will exhibit. So just to be transparent with you, I love political talk radio. It's like my, other than the Bible, like my favorite thing to consume. I love it. It's so interesting, and it, I just love it. But here's what I've noticed, and this is over a period of a long, years and years and years. If I'm not careful, the more of that that I consume, I notice it changes me. It changes my attitude. I get more um, just irritable. If I'm not careful and I'm like consuming hours and hours and hours of this all the time, yes, it's interesting and it's thought-provoking and whatever, but then I, I end up kind of being, you know, a butt at home to Kim, you know. Like I'm saying things in a way that I maybe I'm just more aggressive in my speech and I'm more black and white in how I think and how I treat people, so I have to be careful because what I consume, I will exhibit. And it's the same for any of us. If you consume too much of, let's say, the news, any, I don't care what channel you watch, I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, if you consume too much of any news, it's going to affect you. You're going to get more nervous probably because most news is bad news, right? It's going to make you just a little more on edge. It's going to just flood you with all these mainly negative emotions, maybe anger. Here's another one. If you consume too much true crime, like podcasts, I wish Kim was in here. She's not. Uh, this is for her, by the way. If you consume too much true crime, like, like too much 2020 or 48 hours, it's going to make your spouse nervous <laughs> because they are going to know you can kill them and no one will ever find out, you know? They have, I've, I piece, all, or not me, I, it's Kim, she pieces all these things together. If she wanted to get rid of me with no trace, she would know how. Okay, I know, it's always there. Every, every interaction we have, I remember this, input, output, Okay. But what are we talking about? Don't neglect, be prepared. We're talking about scripture. So what I'm saying is when you're anticipating maybe being around people that just are, put you on edge or you're going to have a conversation or you're about to enter a conversation that just you know is maybe not going to go great, make sure that you don't neglect your soul, is what we're saying. The famous passage in Psalm 23, David says, He leads me in green pastures and beside still waters and he restores my soul. The shepherd, the Lord, wants to restore your soul. And the main way, the primary way that you get health and healing and restoration for your soul is through Scripture. Through consuming, not neglecting, Scripture. It makes a difference. 
So just like the, maybe the talk radio or the news or whatever affects us in one way, mainly in negative ways, Scripture has the opposite effect. It will affect your mood. If you immerse yourself in Scripture, it will strengthen your heart and your mind. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying it probably will decrease your blood pressure. Even. Like it will have literal physiological effects on you the more that we engage and interact and refuse to neglect Scripture. Even this patch that we just read says the Bible teaches us what is true. So I'm, that's why I'm prepared. I'm going in with whatever comes my way, already prepared with what the truth is, because I'm immersing myself in it through the Scriptures. It helps us to realize what is wrong with our lives. So the, and that's the last thing we'll get to in a minute. The main focus of spiritual growth is for me to work on me. The problem many times with these discussions or conversations, especially with faith that we have with other people, is figuring out what's wrong with them, pointing out what's wrong with them. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. We do it in the right way. That can be a positive, healthy way to grow, iron sharpening iron. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. So again, I want to have the Scripture help me realize what's wrong in my life to correct me. And then he says it prepares and equips us for every good work. And then later on uh, in, the, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. And he says, be instant in season and out of season. Be prepared in season and out of season. So he's just got through telling him the importance of Scripture. It prepares us for what? To be ready in season and out of season. When I know that conversation's coming up, I can be prepared and equipped by the Word of God for whatever comes. If I'm blindsided by a discussion or a debate or a person or a topic that I didn't know was coming, but I've prepared through immersing myself in Scripture, then I'm already geared up and ready to roll. I'm more prepared in that way because I've immersed myself in Scripture. So remember, we're not trying to, we're not preparing in order to engage. I'm, I'm getting my battle armor ready to go run people down with the truth of the Bible because I'm prepared. That's not the point. The point is I'm preparing myself for whatever comes my way. Whatever happens to come at me in that way, I am now prepared because I didn't neglect my soul. I didn't neglect time in God's word. As I engage in that, as I consume it, as I immerse myself in it, anything that comes my way, I'm automatically prepared then to engage. And then here's the last thing this morning is this. We don't just want to talk, but we want to walk. Titus 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this to Titus, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. There's nothing worse than someone who is all talk. So that, that person on Facebook that always comments or on YouTube that always comments with, I would do this and I would do that and you should do this and they do nothing with their life but sit in the basement on Facebook or on YouTube all the time. There's nothing worse than that. Or the person like me who would tell Andy Reid what he should have done last week to not lose that game. I've never played organized football in my life, right? So while I might have certain opinions, I just probably should zip it and keep it to myself because he probably knows more about that than I do. Okay? There's nothing worse than someone who just talk, 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 talk. Opinion, opinion, opinion. And you look at their life and you're like, 
what are you doing besides just telling me what I should be doing, right? There's nothing worse than that. And there's nothing worse than someone who lacks integrity in what they do. And that's what Paul's getting at, those two things here. And what it comes down to is, don't just talk, walk. I live in Missouri. You've got to show me, is what Paul's saying here. I don't know if he's from Missouri or not. I don't think he was. Let me look at my, no, he's not. But still, he should have been, because he's saying, show me. He's saying, hey, Titus, show them. Don't just preach and preach and tell them. He's saying, Stephen, show them. He's telling all of us, show them. It's better to, it's, it's good to believe the right things and, and have the right uh, beliefs and, the pro, and the, know the truth, but it's better to live it out. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's challenging Titus and I think us to not just talk, but to walk. Consistency is the key here. And one of the benefits of this, I think is what, what he's saying here at the end of this in verse 8, one of the benefits of consistency in our walk, not just in our talk, is that we can avoid what's called ad hominem. I don't know if you know what that is or not. So ad hominem is this sort of um, philosophical fallacy in which in an argument it becomes personal. We're not debating the issue, I'm going to rip you to shreds, to rip your idea to shreds. What we call is our modern politics. It's basically what I just described to you is how this works. That's why there's like, there's no honor left in our public political system because everything is ad hominem. Okay, so it happens in political, and then what, cap, what, what have you noticed? Have you, have you noticed the temperature in society has gotten a little bit hotter the last 15 years as our political temperature has just gone through the roof? Because it trickles down. We see it on the news, the three talking heads yelling at each other all the time. Guess what we start to do? The same thing. We see our elected officials just tearing each other down personally all the time. Both sides do it. Everyone does it. That's the problem, and so it trickles down. And then That's just our common discourse anymore is ad hominem. You're a this, and you're a that, and I hate you. I thought we were talking about this topic. No, I hate you. So that's what it turns into. Here's what Paul says. If I talk good but don't walk good, what I'm doing is giving someone else ammunition to use against me in ad hominem attacks. Now, they'll try it anyway, but if I'm giving them ammo because I'm not consistent, then they can say, you're a hypocrite. You're not consistent. I don't believe anything you say because you don't back it up with what you do. I don't want to give them ammunition. So what he's saying is, if my talk and my walk are consistent, I can avoid that more often. So calling me a name is not going to mean anything. Calling me a hypocrite isn't going to work. Calling me a Bible thumper it's actually a badge of honor in that case, you know, because I'm not just saying Bible, 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 but I'm trying to live it out in this consistent way. But every time I talk about this, I have to mention this caveat here. I'm not talking about living a life of perfection, so please don't hear that. Consistency does not always mean perfection, and in a life of faith, it certainly doesn't mean that. In your life, in my life, it certainly doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. We cannot attain that perfection. It's consistency. All I'm trying to do is follow Jesus as best I can in both word and deed. All we're trying to do is just grow in our faith. And sometimes we slip and fall. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we lose our temper. Sometimes we say and do things that we're like, okay, if I were in my right mind at that moment, I wouldn't have said and done those things. We all deal with that. So that's part of this consistency is recognizing what God really wants from us and trying to live that out. As an imperfect person, I'm just trying to serve a perfect God. And God's not looking for perfect people, just available people. 
Someone who will say, okay, as best I can with all that I have and your spirit helping me and empowering me, I'm going to try to live out this faith walk. I'm not going to get right every time, and I'm going to admit that, which is part of that consistency. I'm going to call myself out whenever I make this mistake. I'm going to turn, repent from sin, receive forgiveness, and walk in newness of life. I'm going to do that. And as we do, we can know that God walks with us. Because as we've said already, in life, we can't avoid every conversation. We can't avoid every interaction. And we shouldn't. We should engage. We should, you know, talk about these tough issues sometimes. We should engage in these maybe personal things with people. Walk through them with these things. Talk it out with them sometimes. So we can't avoid them. But as we consistently live a life of faith, and as we are prepared in our spirit through Scripture through prayer, through time with the Lord, we can, by faith, engage and make a positive impact in our world. That's the point of doing this and not that. Let's pray. God, thank you today for this reminder. Thank you for every opportunity that we have to interact with people. And may we see our interaction with others as opportunities. Not as, oh, here we go again. Not always dreading, although sometimes we do certain people or certain settings or certain topics or certain conversations. But, but may we see them as opportunities that you give us. And help us to be prepared to engage with these opportunities to engage in conversations with certain people that need to hear maybe what Scripture does say. Maybe they just need someone who's thought from a different angle about this topic. They've been taught this and taught this and taught this one thing their whole life, and maybe, just maybe, you've brought them into our sphere of influence to help them see things in a different way. Help us to see and engage in these opportunities and help us to be prepared through your Scripture and then to enter in these in faith, not fear, that you'll give us the words, you'll help us to stay under control, you'll give us wisdom on how to navigate conversations, maybe when to cut it off. Maybe we'll know, we'll get a sense of, okay, this is not being constructive anymore, let's come back to this later. Maybe you, you will help us to know what to do and when to do it. And I thank you that we are here to make an impact. We're here to impact people for the sake of the gospel with the truth of the gospel and although that may we may butt heads with people occasionally on those things give us grace in that give us strength in that help us to engage in order to make positive and effective change in the lives of those around us our neighbors that need truth our family members that need your grace our coworkers that need your forgiveness, all of those around us, help us to be a bright light that shines your glory and your truth. And I think that as we engage, we will see change made. Not because of our power, our wisdom, our intellect, our words, but because we are being led and guided by the Holy Spirit himself. So help us to think about these truths, these keys, these steps, even this week, to be ready for whatever comes our way, that we can do it by your power and through your strength. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.